Welcome back to Mission is Possible. I'm Sasha O'Connell, and I'm thrilled to be introducing this mini-series of the Mission is Possible podcast, a joint project between Guidehouse and the School of Public Affairs at American University. This spin-off series dives into the world of presidential transitions and explores what can be expected inside national security agencies during this time frame and how best to prepare for success by talking with the folks who have been there. Thank you for tuning in and please enjoy. On this episode, we're pleased to welcome Chris Kamiski as guest host. Chris serves as a strategic advisor to Guidehouse's national security segment and is the former Deputy Undersecretary of Management and former Acting Undersecretary of Management of the Department of Homeland Security. Chris is joined by Chip Fulgham, former Deputy Undersecretary of Management and CFO of DHS. The two reunite in this episode to share reflections on their experience at DHS, undergoing presidential transitions and the challenges and successes they faced. Chip, thank you for joining us today on this special episode of Mission is Possible. Thanks very much for having me. Well, I've had the privilege of working with you in the past, but our listeners may not know the extensive background that you've had in both the Department of Defense uh, as well as DHS. So could you give us a little bit of a background uh, so that our listeners can get a sense of the some of the jobs you've had through the years? Sure thing. Well, first of all, I got to tell you that I'm proof that anything is possible. Um, <laughs> I spent 28 years in the Air Force and retired out of Washington, D.C., and then came to work at Homeland Security, first as their director of budget as a SES. Then, actually, it was Chris Kaminsky who called me one night at 630 and said that they wanted me to act as the chief financial officer. And so I did that and then was asked by Secretary Johnson to be the CFO and was fortunate enough to be confirmed acted a couple of times as the Undersecretary for Management, acted one time as the Deputy Undersecretary for Management, and then have acted twice as the Deputy Secretary at DHS. So I've had a lot of different roles there, very rewarding and uh, fulfilling time. Well, and that was one of the best decisions I ever made was to, to make that call because uh, you were such a terrific asset for the department in so many roles. I don't think there are too many folks that have served at DHS over the last 17 years that have had as much cross-cutting and widespread experience as you have with your military background, your career, as well as political appointee experience. And so, you know, what are your thoughts about transitions generally? I had the opportunity to see it from both an incoming political appointee in 2009 and then helping to manage that in 2012 and then watching it from the outside in 2016. But each one seems to have a different dynamic to it. And so how do you generally view transitions given your lens? Yeah, I say, first of all, you know, it's a very interesting time, right? It's gonna be chaotic, no matter if it's the same party that retains power or it transitions to a different party, it's gonna be chaotic. So you've gotta manage the chaos. You know, for me personally, I was in a very interesting spot because As you said, as a CFO, I was a Senate-confirmed political, but I had also retained my SES status and was actually the Deputy Undersecretary for Management. So as the administration came in, you know, it's their prerogative to retain folks or let folks go. So as it turned out, they let the political side of me go and the career side of me stayed. So from that perspective, it was pretty interesting. You know, transitions take a lot of work and preparation, obviously, and you're very hopeful that 
the incoming team is ready to go and is is well prepared, but you've got a lot of work to do on your end. You know, typically in the last year of an administration, as you well know, lots of folks leave on the political side and begin to look to do other things. So that contributes to the sort of chaotic time frame that surrounds that last year of an administration. But in general, I think the better prepared you are, and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more, the better prepared you are, that the better you're able to manage that change. But there's going to be some chaos, no matter how well prepared you are. It's just the nature of the beast, if you will. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, in certain election cycles, when you know there's going to be a transition, no matter what, I think in some respects, it's a little bit clearer that you're going to, you know, people talk about it more freely. It's kind of out in the open. I know that in 2012, there was some hesitancy among the political appointees to talk about, you know, transition because the president was running for re-election, as is the case with this cycle. So how do you prepare in that kind of set of dynamics and what kinds of things go into uh, a good set of preparations uh, for either eventuality? Well, as you know, um, having served as the USM and Deputy USM yourself, the Undersecretary for Management is responsible for transition by law. So when Rustio got confirmed as the USM, it was in May of 2018. The first thing he asked when he got into his job is, who's running transition? Because he knew that that was going to be an important part of the job of the Undersecretary for Management. And that was eight, about 18 months out from January of 2017. So the first thing you got to do is start early. You know, we started about 15 months out, as I said. The second thing you got to do is identify the right person. I think Mark Cummins is running the transition team this time, mm-hmm. DHS. We had Vince McConey, who you, you know very well, running our transition team. And that was one of the best decisions we made because Vince is a master at pulling yeah. um, a, a variety of stuff together and pulling a team together. So we not only identified Vince and the small team at the headquarters, but we had executives in every component, senior level career folks identified to help us with transition and be the point of contact within every component. So you got to build a plan. You got to hold yourself accountable. You need a checklist, I believe, you know, a very thorough checklist. You know, you got a scenario plan. We did some tabletops even. You know, you've also got to prepare for what happens if there's a, an event during transition. So you've got to do all that type of scenario planning very often. You've got to communicate. That's going to be a challenge for the next administration because of this virtual world that we're not now all operating in. We got to meet face-to-face, which is very helpful. You know, we use resources. The Partnership for Public Service provides tremendous resources. And then we did a lot of R&D work. And what I mean by R&D is we ripped off and duplicated from other agencies that had very solid plans. I think the other thing you got to do, Chris, is you got to limit the material. So what you find is every component thinks their issue is the most important thing that needs Mm -hmm. to be in front of the new secretary and the new leadership. So you really had to skinny down those issues. One of the things we did for them was we said the first 90 days, these would be the things that are going to come at you regardless, you know, budgets and things of that nature. So we made a good list and a good outline and a good set of materials for that first 90 days. We really tried to 
focus down the areas that they needed to worry about? What, what are the current issues going on in the administration that require the secretary's attention? And we got very crisp papers on those so that they, they could easily get through the details. And then I would say that, you know, from a practical standpoint, you know, we built, obviously, we had binders of materials. We put them on CDs and things like that. But we also used what was on the shelf. What was good for us was, in a sense, is that Secretary Johnson had just come in, I think it was late 2014. So, so you know, we had to go through a lot of material to get Secretary Johnson ready for confirmation and then get him up to speed quickly and his team quickly when he took office. So we used a lot of that material to prepare as sort of a template, if you will, for the next administration. So that helped us out a great deal too. And then the last thing I would say is you can't communicate enough. You need to communicate with the landing team, the transition team, as well as communicating with your own organization about what's going on and what's happening. Because that uncertainty creates a lot of anxiety within the department and folks naturally don't like change. And so this creates a tremendous amount of change. So the more you can communicate with them, the better off you are. No, that's really helpful. And you, by my estimate, I think you've briefed or been in the room to help four secretaries on board. Are there similarities that you see in those briefings or in those engagements that kind of cross cut with your budget and finance background, I know that that was always on their mind was, you know, how does the budget work? What are the resources being dedicated to? But were there similarities or threads that kind of were woven through all of the secretaries you've worked with in the past? Yeah, I'd say, first of all, they all want to know about the money Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and how the money works. So uh, you got, and as you know, DHS has got a complicated budget. The, The structure is much simpler now than it was back when Secretary Johnson took over. But the first thing you got to do is really give them a simple overview of the budget and the money they really have influence over and the money that sort of just is on autopilot, if you will. I think that's first and foremost. Second, you want to make sure they understand what large acquisitions are ongoing in the department. As you know, we had a lot of several large acquisitions that were happening at the time. So you want to make sure that they understand that. And then what are the operational issues that are going on? So each component had about two or three top operational issues that they would talk to the secretary about to make sure, okay, these are the issues that you got to pay most attention to right now because these are things that are going on. But I think those three things were the biggest things that we tried to do. Obviously, intel and threat assessments and those things happened on a routine basis, and they got up to speed very quickly on the threats that were facing the nation at the time. But from an operational or running the department, it's really about the budget, what you're doing to acquire things, and what are those operational issues, and how that information feeds to them on a routine basis. What I saw was that the challenge for them was, is how does the information flow to them, and how can you get information to them quickly, and what type of command and control structure do they have to operate within inside the department. Yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about what happens when they first get there. You know, obviously you're planning for both eventualities with the transition, whether it's a second term or a first term of a new administration. If it does change, let's talk about these landing teams a little bit. Explain for the audience, you know, what is a landing team? What is their objective in the early going? And what, what groundwork does it set for 
people that would ultimately be appointed to serve in political positions. Yeah, so those landing teams are critical because they are coming in to get sort of a lay of the land, if you will, first and foremost, but they're coming to get briefed up on what the issues are so they can go back and formulate their plan to hit the ground running when an administration changes. So those folks come in, they get a lot of detailed briefings. They're typically folks who've served in previous administrations somewhere inside the department. So most of them, when they came in 2016, it was like old home week for them because (laughs) they had met and knew and served with people that were currently working in the department. And their job is to really get a good lay of the land and understand what the issues are, what the challenges are. And then they go back and formulate, okay, here's what we need to do as it relates to a particular issue. And they write those papers and present those so that when the secretary is ultimately picked and confirmed, he can have that information and it helps his team get ready to roll because that is a challenge, right? So in 2016, you had Secretary Kelly who got confirmed actually the day of the inauguration, he got confirmed, but he didn't have a lot of the rest of his team there confirmed. He had no deputy, no USM. The components were all led by career folks. He had his chief of staff and a, and a very small team of advisors, but that's it. So he depended on that landing team and the work that they had done inside the department to help get him up to speed and help get him going very quickly. You know, I, I would also say, Chris, that one of the challenges that I saw during the administration change is, you know, you can only work for one president at a time. And so, you know, it sounds obvious, but it's, it's a challenge for the department because mm-hmm. you've got, on the one hand, you've got an administration that is sprinting to the finish line. I mean, they want to get as much policy done. They want to get it in place and they are pushing while at the same time, they've lost a lot of their political leadership. They've left. And so you've got career actings typically trying to push that agenda while at the same time, you're trying to prepare for the new without going over the edge in terms of going too far in trying to implement a new agenda. You can prepare for the agenda, but you've got to serve the current president and the current administration. And I think that was a challenge. And then the other thing I would say is, is that there's a lot of jockeying that's going on. And in terms of there are folks who, who want to serve in the new administration, if it's the same party, then there are a lot of folks who think they're going to be retained. And so there's a lot of, I think, what I would call jockeying that goes on that is somewhat distracting from trying to just keep the ball moving and keep pushing the current agenda as much as you can while preparing for the new. And then the third thing is, is that you still got to run the department. And, you know, as you well know, the business of running that department is vast and large. And so you've got to keep sort of the trains moving and operating on time. And and so you've got a lot going on as it leads up to that transition. And then you're dealing with that landing team, as I said, which also folks, you know, they're trying at times, they try to push their agenda and try to get it started. And you, you just can't allow that to happen because you're still working for the previous administration. So a lot of uh, competing priorities as it gets down to that actual transition. Yeah, those are really good points. And you mentioned the, the kind of the mindset of the career staff. You know, DHS, uh, I think people would be surprised to know that there's only about 175 political appointees 
and roughly 240,000 know, career positions in the field for the department. You know, morale has always been an issue for a department like DHS. But as you, uh, you know, four weeks out or so from an election, through a transition period of you know the first Tuesday in November through January 20th, uh, what what is the mindset of career officials as they they kind of move through that? So I, if they're experienced, they know they've been through it before, right? And so you've got mm-hmm. to just help folks go, okay, there's going to be change. There's going to be a new agenda here potentially, but we've got a job to do. There's a lot of things that are apolitical that need to keep going. Like I said, running the department, the business of running the department. And so you got to keep that going. I would say that it does impact morale because there's big uncertainty around which way are we going to go now? Are we going to take a hard left turn or a hard right turn? And that that really does impact people. So that that really requires you to uh, focus and, and hone in on your own leadership to be visible, to be out there, be present, and continue to say it's going to be okay, and let's just keep going with the job that we have today. And while preparing for a potential change, but we got a job to do right now. But I think for the rank and file, once you get outside the beltway, for them, it's just about going and doing their job every day. And and the folks at DHS do an incredible job at, at protecting our nation each and every day. So for the rank and file, I think it's minimal. For the folks at DHS headquarters or at the component leadership has a lot more impact because they are more directly affected by a change in administration. Yeah, that's definitely true. Those positions you know, at the headquarters, uh, there's so many other individuals that are dependent on that ecosystem. So you really do see them being much more attuned to it than perhaps uh, you know, the field offices uh, throughout the country that are just going and doing their jobs every day. Let's talk about the agenda for a little bit. Uh, you know, everyone comes in with a, an agenda, whether it's a second term of the current administration or a first term in the event that it changes. Can you talk a little bit about the different agendas from the White House to the new secretary to, you know, the politicals as they get confirmed and how that synthesizes and comes together? You know, it's interesting because I, I think it takes about six months. And so in, in the case of the administration that came in in 2017, they wanted to move rapidly. And so, I, you know, I'll never forget, I, I was sitting in there. It was actually pretty surreal for me because I was, as you recall, I was number 18 in the line of succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were 17 politicals in front of me. And although we thought a couple of those politicals would be retained, they were not. And so the first day of the new administration, I'm sitting in the deputy secretary's office going, what the heck have I gotten myself <laughs> into? And John Kelly walks in and he goes, uh, who are you? And I go, I'm Chip Fulgham. I think I'm going to be your uh, acting deputy secretary. And he goes, oh, okay, great. Let's go. And so, you know, immediately that day, we get a call from the White House that says the president's going to come to Nebraska Avenue two days from now. And as you well know, that's no small task when the president of the United States decides to come visit somewhere. So immediately we had to get going with that. And then we had an executive order that was signed. And then we had executive orders hitting almost every week for the first month. So that agenda was being rapidly driven, which caused a lot of 
chaos, if you will, from a standpoint in chaos, probably in the right word, but it caused, caused a lot of consternation because whenever you're implementing a new agenda, there's so many things you've got to think about from a political standpoint. Have you worked with the Congress? Do you have a comm plan? Do you have all these things in place when you're about to roll something out? And so we had to get a lot of things together quickly without a lot of political leadership there. So that's the other part to this is when when you don't have your team confirmed, you've got a lot of career folks trying to get this done for you with a very small team of political leadership. And so that made it challenging. But we had, you know, Secretary Kelly, who was provided tremendous leadership and calm throughout the department. One of the things I really saw from him, as well as Secretary Johnson, is their incredible leadership and how they could just create calm over the department. And Secretary Kelly did a great job of going out in his first 90 days and seeing the troops and keeping folks calm and motivated and headed in the right direction. But that was probably the most challenging time I've seen because we had such a tremendous change in agenda that the administration wanted to get going very quickly. And so, you again, you had to have all those elements in place. And so that required a lot of work, a lot of everyone pulling in the same direction very quickly. And they, de- frankly, depended on the careers to provide them advice and counsel about how what what is the best way to do this, not about what we were doing, but how to get it done. And so we were able to roll out a lot of things, some of them controversial, but we were able to actually roll them out operationally without much issue, which was a credit to the leadership and the components and the credit to the leadership at the headquarters that we were able to do that. Yeah, that's a big job to get that to all come together. As a recovering political appointee, I often uh, remember those early days when I first ended up at the department. And you think about all the big ideas and the agendas coming out of the White House, the secretary and his or her new team that they bring to bear. You've been on both sides of this from both a career and a political advantage. What's good advice that you would give to incoming political appointees as they show up to either DHS or any other department? I think I'd give some advice to both careers and politicals. For the careers, my biggest piece of advice is is that your job is to implement policy. You help, you can help shape the policy in terms of helping them write it and get it ready to go, but your job is to implement. And what I saw in the administration at times was is that career folks had become pretty wed to the previous policies. And when those policies changed, they didn't like it necessarily. And I've been asked this question numerous times and they go, how'd you go about doing that? And I'm like, I always use the wall as the example. You know, if an administration comes in and says, I want to tear the wall down, then it's our job to figure out what the best, most cost-effective way to tear it down is. If they want to build more wall, our job is to tell them what the best, most cost-effective way to do it. They can ask us our opinion of where we need it and all those things, but our real job is to help them implement policy. And if you can't do that, then you got, you know, you just got to go. One of the things that I saw with the current administration was because we had to depend, we were depending on a lot of acting career folks and a lot of them, 99.9% of them did a tremendous job. So my advice to the careers is to simply, you know, if 
your job is to implement policy. If you don't agree with the policy and you can't live with it and you can't work there each and every day to implement that policy, then you probably got to find something else to do. As far as the politicals go, first of all, you got to pay attention to a lot of the details. You know, hiring, as you well know, when a new administration comes in, they want to hire a bunch of politicals and they want to do it quickly. But there mm-hmm. are a whole bunch of rules associated with hiring. All of them got to get background clearances. And of course, that takes time and they don't want to wait. So you've got to make sure you know every rule and how you can bring folks on while they're waiting for their clearance to come through. I would say you always got to be ready. Because like me, you know, I was number 18 in line. And the next thing you know, I'm number two. And so you've, you've got to be ready. Um, That's right. And then I, I think the other thing, Chris, is, is that it's not personal, right? So when, whenever there's a change in administration, there's going to be a lot of actings. And some of those actings are going to be kept. And some of those actings are going to be moved on. And that's just how it goes. And that's not personal. That's just how the administration works. And, you know, we saw that with Secretary Johnson. It's not necessarily a change in party. You know, when they come in, they want to get their own team. You know, if they want a different acting in place, then it's their prerogative to put that different acting in place. You know, our job is to serve the administration, whatever administration is in power and serve to the best of our ability. But I think for politicals, they really need to understand a lot of the mechanics of how to bring people on board and and they need to be ready. Right. So they need to come in with their team that's ready to go. As many of those folks that they can vet themselves prior and have an idea where they want to put all those folks, the faster they can get going and get their agenda up and running because, you know, four years goes by pretty quickly. When you think about it, you've really got about two and a half years to do what you need to do because the first six months or so, you're going to be trying to figure out the department and what happens six to nine months. And then that last year to 15 months, people start leaving. So you really got two and a half years or so to get going and really get your agenda up and moving and policy changes moving. And like from even from a budget perspective, you really only can influence a couple of budgets because the last couple will be, you know, for the next administration, whoever that is. So you really got to be prepared. You really got to know the department and understand its inner workings and get yourself up and running as fast as you can. But a lot of it to me was mechanics. You know, we struggled a little bit with the hiring piece, the background piece. And that just delays getting people on board. And it was taking a a while to vet these folks. So the sooner you can do all those things, I think the better off you are. Yeah, the the term acting has come up a lot. And I think that up until, you know, four years ago, probably it was mostly seen as inside baseball, because I don't think people heard that term quite as readily as they do today. There are so many at DHS, at least, that are in those acting positions. From your career vantage point, does it make a difference to have a a lot of careers running around, or is it just, you know, uh, another dimension that you've got to contend with? So I, I think acting's, I think it's tough. I think it's it's doable, but I think it's tough. Whenever you're acting, you got one or two things. You know, I, I think I counted, I acted like four or five different times. Mm-hmm. And whenever, whenever you did, whenever you're acting, you got a, a certain set of the population that goes, well, he's just acting, so we'll just wait. And we'll wait for the guy or gal who's ever going to get confirmed. So when you've got a lot of actings there, it's 
it makes it more difficult to push the agenda and push change. Can you do it? Yes, but it, it makes it more difficult. And the fact that, you know, a lot of times when you have actings, like at one point in time, I think I was the acting USM, deputy USM, and still the CFO. So yeah. that puts a lot of strain on the workforce, not necessarily on me, but it takes a lot of strain on the workforce because everybody's trying to pick up something else. And so I think that makes it a little bit more challenging as well. You know, at the end of the day, you want stability at the leadership level. So the more you've got turnover and actings because you don't have the political leadership in place, it's more challenging. I don't care how good the leader is. It makes it more challenging. Can you do it? Yes. Did DHS do it? Yes. I think operationally, you can run the department with actings. I know you can because we we did it and yeah. we ran the department operationally fine. I think it's from a policy and agenda perspective, trying to push change is where it makes it much more difficult and challenging. You want Again, you want stability at the leadership level. You've seen the number of in the department today, the number of actings. I just think it makes it more a demanding job, more difficult. And so if you can get those guys and gals in and get them confirmed and have some stability, I think that helps. Because we even saw that with, you know, when Napolitano left and Secretary Johnson came in, it just creates this new sprint to the finish, right? And they're trying to get their team in place and you've only got two years to go. And so you're really in a crunch to get those folks in and you've really got to have the right leaders in place as actings to make sure that they can keep the department going and, and try to push the agenda forward. But you need some stability, I, I believe, at the top in terms of that steady, confirmed leadership. Yeah, that's great insight. I think that really is uh, something we've seen come to the forefront most recently, which I think people have had to adjust to. Last question. So in terms of advice, you know, there's a lot of folks watching these processes in and around government, particularly in Washington, D.C., industry, the Hill, you know, interest groups, outfits like the Partnership for Public Service. What's your advice for folks that are interested in the transition itself in terms of, you know, what to watch for, how to successfully, you know, engage with the system as we go through either a, the start of a second term or the launch of a first term administration? So I, I think a couple of things. First of all, you need a good succession plan. So you need to have a well thought out who's going to be next in line succession plan. The second thing is the current administration needs to make recommendations on who to retain. You know, that a new administration can go yes or no to those. But I, I think those two things are critical. You know, we spent a lot of time on the succession plan and going all the way down the line to go, okay, if none of these people are, are kept, it will be this individual who's left to be in charge. I think that's very important, especially as you get right to up to inauguration in the first few weeks after, because there was some debate as to who was the actual secretary there for a couple of hours on inauguration <laughs> day before Secretary Kelly got confirmed. So there's a lot of rules, as you know, associated with that. So I think those two things you got to do first. Then you need to really get connected with the once the election's over and you've got a landing team, you've got to reach out and communicate with those folks and get as much information as you can about what they want to do, the agenda, 
And so you can start to think about while you're still sprinting to the finish with the old, getting ready for the new. And then when the new administration gets their team in place, having the folks that you believe are going to be left in leadership roles, talking with them, would I think would be very helpful. Like for me, I didn't get a chance to talk to Secretary Kelly until he showed up that Monday. I didn't get a chance to talk with the chief of staff prior to like Saturday of inauguration day. We just didn't have a lot of interaction. I think part of that was on us or most of that was on us. We didn't do as good a job as we could have done to reach out to them. I think, again, solidifying who's going to stay, who's going to be retained as soon as you can do that and who's going to be let go on the political side helps a great deal because it just adds to, okay, this is going to be the team left in place and they can really begin to strategize and formulate, all right, how are we going to operate? There was a lot of uncertainty as to in the previous administration as to who was going to stay and who was going to go. We made recommendations, but it got all the way up to the very end before we decided who was going to, or they decided who was going to stay and who was going to go. So I think that landing team is critical in terms of being that conduit that gets you to the new administration. And you just got to pay attention to their agenda so that you know what's coming and you, you can be as prepared as possible to implement their agenda as quickly as you can, whether it's the same party or a different party. But those would be the things that I saw that, I one, I think we could have really done a better job. But by and large, I think we did a great job with transition. As I said, I think Vince and company did a tremendous job of providing the information necessary for the new administration to get up to speed. But there were some things I think we could have done to communicate better. And that, again, that was on us. Not to, we, we didn't do it as much outreach as we could within the rules. I mean, as you know, there's rules associated with what you can do with the incoming administration and what you can't do. But within the rules, I would do that. And then I would, I'd use every resource I could find. As I said, we do a lot of R&D and DHS, which is rip off and duplicate. And the partnership has mm-hmm. tremendous resources. I'd use all those resources because it really helps you hone in and be prepared. And I'm sure this Mark and, and company are really ready to go in terms of transition because there's a good foundation that was left for events from the previous administration. And we left that in place. So there's a solid foundation for this group to go through transition as well. But now I think communication is the biggest thing that you, you need communication and know who's in, who's going to be left behind and in charge. Well, and there's one thing that I think we both agree on is that it's never dull, right? You get into these situations and you're in it and uh, you just have to deliver. And I think that it's pretty clear why so many secretaries and their teams turn to you for expertise and insight and, and advice as to how to launch successfully. Chip, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Mission is Possible. It was a pleasure talking with you about your experiences. Well, thanks very much, Chris. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thanks for all you did in the department. You were a true leader in the department and did so much to help us strengthen and mature the department during a critical time. So thanks for your leadership there and all the work you're doing today to still help the department. I know it's greatly appreciated by them. And I know I appreciated it when I was still in the department as well. So thanks for all you did and all you're doing today.
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Mission is Possible, the Presidential Transition Miniseries. If you're interested in hearing more, look out for new episodes in the special series and check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or on the GuideHouse website.